The Bible. A collection of 66 individual books that tell one common story. A story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. A book that has shaped civilizations and guided movements of God for millennia. But how can a book of ancient stories, archaic customs, and cryptic language maintain its relevance to each of us in a world that seems to have moved on? It's time to get a new perspective on the Bible, to see how it integrates into the complexities of our world and the simplicities of everyday life, to experience its power to transform lives and redefine realities. This is a view of the Bible from 30,000 feet. All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So if you will turn in your copy of God's Word with me to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. As you notice by the video, uh, we are going to begin a short series this morning. We are pausing our series in the Gospel of John. We've been working through the Gospel of John for, I don't know, the last several months or more. Uh, We're going to pause that series in the Gospel of John for the next six weeks, and we're going to look at this series, a view of the Bible from 30,000 feet. Now, you might be asking, well, why not go back to John? Why not wait until we finish the Gospel of John and then jump in to this series? Well, this series that we're going to be exploring over the next six weeks is part of my project for my doctorate of ministry that I am pursuing at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And now I have to complete this project in order to complete my program. Um, So that's why we are jumping into this. Now in saying that, I don't want you to think this is just something that the school has assigned to me or this is just something that that I have to do because they're making me do that. No, no, this is a project that I came up with. This is a project that I designed. This is a project that I think that the church needs. You see, if we're going to understand the Bible, one of the major things that we need to know is that the Bible is tied together as one story. There are 66 books in the Bible, and and within those 66 books, there are all kinds of different stories. There are all kinds of different characters that, that you come across. But the Bible as a whole has one main story, and it's that one main story that ties the Bible together, which means that there is a meta-narrative or an overarching story of Scripture. There's one main story, there's one main thread that runs from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. And the story can be broken down into a particular framework. And we're going to look at this framework over the next six weeks. The framework of creation, which is what we're going to look at today, fall, promise, Redemption, redemption lived out, and recreation, or you might refer to it as restoration. I'll refer to that last piece there as restoration many times throughout our series. And we're going to be looking at each of these frameworks over the next six weeks. And my hope is that through this series, you will see that the scriptures is tied together as one story, that there is one thread that runs throughout the text. More specifically, my hope is that, that you would see that there is 
that the story of Scripture is centered on Jesus. Jesus is the one that ties the entire story together. From Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is centered on Jesus. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 24. He's walking with these two men on the road to Emmaus, and these two men, they're lamenting what has happened over the last few days, how the one that they thought was the Messiah has, has been crucified. And, and now he's not even in the tomb. They, they can't even find Jesus. Where is he at? And Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 25 of Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, how can that be? Jesus does not show up until the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't encounter Jesus until the Gospel account, which is halfway through the Bible, or more than halfway through the Bible. How can all of Scripture be about Jesus? Well, that's the question I'm going to answer for you as we work through this series, 30,000, a view of the Bible from 30,000 feet. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Hopefully you found that text. I won't read it because this is two long chapters, but we'll work through the text this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive into our first message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as the church, Lord. Um, We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to learn from it. And God, as we walk through this this new series over the next six weeks, we hope, help us to see that, that scripture is all about Jesus. That God's plan is centered on Jesus as the Messiah who saves us, Lord. Help us to see that, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as part of my doctorate of ministry program, I've had to go to the Southern Baptist Theological Campus uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, several times over the last several years. Um, Now, the campus is in Louisville, Kentucky which means it's quite a drive from here. It's not like Southwestern in Fort Worth where it's like, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to get there. It's like 10 hours or more if you're going to drive, which means that I have had to board several planes in order to get there because I'm not going to drive, you know, 15 hours in order to be there for a couple of days. And the flight is short. It is only two hours. Um, But while I'm on that flight, I found myself wondering, you know, where where am I? You know, I knew the flight was headed to Louisville, but I, I, I had no idea where I was at as I flew there. You see, most domestic flights, they don't have a flight tracker like an international flight does. You know, I've, I've flown to China, I've flown international before, and, 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 and when I was on that flight, they had this huge screen, and it, had, it was tracking us from where we started all the way to where we we're going to land in China. Now, most of that is over the Pacific Ocean, and so it didn't really matter where we were at, right? I mean, it's just a bunch of ocean there. Um, but at least you knew, hey, I was getting a little bit closer as every hour ticked by, and you could see that you were getting closer, but you don't get that on domestic flights, right? I mean, it's like two hours, four hours, like you can just, you can kind of wait. You don't really need, need to know. And so unless the, the, the captain comes over the intercom and says, this is where we're at, this is what we're flying over right now, um, you, don't, you don't really know unless you're going to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get on the internet, you know, for like an hour or two on your flight. You don't really know where you're at. 
You look out the window, all you see is just this cloud, you know, this bank of clouds or some farmland. You have no idea where you are at. And while that might be true when it comes to a flight, it's not true when it comes to our place in the universe. That's because God tells us where we are at and he tells us where we are at in his word. He doesn't leave us to wonder. Speaking through Moses in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, God tells us where we are. He tells us who we are. And he also tells us what we should be doing. And while scripture is clear about these things, I believe that we can easily forget these things. We live in America. The home of the free, the home of the brave. We are used to living under a constitutional republic where where everything is decided by a vote instead of by a sovereign king. And because of that, our day-to-day experience, oftentimes we import all of this thing, these ideas, this democratically controlled republic onto God's kingdom. We think things should operate in the same way that they operate in the United States. We think they should operate in the same way in God's kingdom. But that's simply not true. And if that isn't true, then, then why? Well, as we look at the book of Genesis, we see that Genesis was written by Moses. Moses is writing to a people. We're going to learn about these people in a later message. Uh, they, they are the Israelites. And at the time of, of Moses' writing, they're about to go into the promised land. God had, had promised them a land. And he was going to give them that land. And they're right there on the edge of this land. They're about to enter in. And Moses is writing the book of Genesis and and really the the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as a way to instill hope, as a way to instill courage, as a way to, to, to bolster these folks as they enter into the promised land so that they might trust in the Lord. And so here they are. But the land is is not a desolate land. The land is not uninhabited. The land is is full of people who are warriors, people who they have to conquer in order to take this land, people who are prepared for war and for battle. But God has told the Israelites, God has, has promised them that they will conquer the people, they will take the land. And so here we have Genesis And here we have the other four books as the Bible begins. Now in doing so, he tells the Israelites, he tells us where we are, where we are at. And so we need to realize, where are we? Well, we are in God's kingdom. That's where we are at. So look at verse 1 with me. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now if you think about it, that that is a strong opening to to a book. Right? We, we often think about, well, this book begins in Matthew, or maybe that's where you, you began reading it. But, but really, the Bible begins in Genesis. The Bible begins with God saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not, it's not, not you know, time plus chance. It is God created the heavens and the earth. That is a strong opening. Moses tells us that everything in this universe, including you and I, created specifically by God, and we belong to God. Like most boys, Camden and Bryson, they enjoy building. And so over the years, we bought them several building sets, and, and they'll, they'll begin to, to, to build all kinds of stuff. They will spend hours and hours with these building sets. And you'll go and you'll ask them, you know, hey, hey what, are you guys, what are you guys building? And you might get some standard answer like, oh, we're building a house, Dad, or we're building a Ford, or we're building a castle. Or, or you might get some non-standard answers like, we're building a wiggy wom wham 
or something crazy like that. They'll just make up all kinds of names for these things that they're building. And, and as parents, you want to be like, no, no, Camp Bryce, uh, a Wiggy Wham does not exist. Like, it's got to be a house, it's got to be a fort, you know, it's got to be a castle, it's got to be a bridge, it's got to be something like that, not a wiggy wom wham. But then you might catch yourself and you, and, you, and you really think through it and you're like, you know, it's their creation. They're the ones who have built that. And because it is their creation, because they're the ones who have built that, they get to name what it is. They get to tell me what it is. They're the creator, not me. And they get to tell me what it is. They get to tell me how things operate in their kingdom. And the same is true in this world. God created this world, which means that the world belongs to God. It is his kingdom, and he is the one who tells us how things operate in the world in which he has designed. David echoes this thought later in the Psalms when he writes, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The world, the universe, every created space, God owns. It is God's. Whether we live in the United States, whether we live in Africa, whether we live in Asia, or anywhere in between, we live in God's kingdom. But it's not just any kingdom. It's God's good kingdom. As you read through the creation account, you learn that God took that which existed in chaos and he created something beautiful out of it. In verse 2, Moses tells us, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the mention of the, of the word deep here and, and the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters is meant to tell us that, that the world existed in this state of chaos. You see, see water in, or sea in biblical times was often thought of as this dark place, this place that existed in, in chaos, this place that, that in some sense held evil in it. You know, we didn't, we didn't have meteorologists who, who could say, hey, there's a storm that's going to be coming up and there's going to be this huge hurricane that, that is coming. No, p- people would just be out there and then this huge storm would start to rise and, and their boat might sink and people might hear of that. We didn't have submarines back then or scuba gear where you could peer below the surface and see what was down there. People just knew that there were these sea creatures that were lurking underneath the surface. And when people's ships sunk, they didn't come back. And so the sea was this chaotic, turbulent place. But God takes that which existed in chaos And he takes it and he makes something beautiful out of it, something good out of it. In verses 3 through 27, God forces back the chaos. First, God creates light. Then he separates the waters. He creates this expanse between the two before he brings about dry land and and vegetation. And then on the fourth day, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And then on the fifth and, and sixth days, he creates the sea creatures and the birds and the air and the livestock and creeping things. And then he creates us. God takes that which existed in chaos and he creates something good. He creates something ordered. He creates something beautiful out of it. A beautiful kingdom in which we live. That is where we are. But who are we? When we look at the biblical story, we learn that that we were created to be God's representatives and his kingly priests. We're created to be God's representatives and kingly priests. Verse 26. Then God said... 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the the Hebrew word there for image is the word salim. And it's used throughout Scripture to refer to idols or to icons. And where do people typically erect these idols or icons? Well, well they, would, they would typically erect these icons in, in temples or, or places of worship, such as a high hill. It was thought that, that through these places, this is where, where the, the humans connected with, with the gods. And to be sure, the, these icons that they would erect there, they were not the actual deity. They were just representative of that particular god. Its purpose was to represent God's power and God's presence. And so Selim refers to an idol or an icon that, that is meant to be a representative. But Selim is also used throughout Scripture to refer to kings. And the close association of an idol or an icon when kings occurs in biblical times, even today, because kings are thought to be representatives of the gods. They, they, they served as their representatives reigning and ruling on the gods' behalf. Now, the biblical usage of the word Salim here is combined with with the teaching in verse 26, and it tells us that God has made man in his image, and as those made in his image, we are supposed to be his representatives who reign and rule on his behalf. And if you think about it, the, the Bible is making a radical statement when it says that. See, bearing God's image is not just a role that that was reserved for a king somewhere. Bearing God's image was reserved for everyone. Every person who is created bears God's image. The Bible is making a a radical claim, a radical statement as as it enters onto the world scene. And there are other religions that are out there. The Bible is coming in with a completely radical statement. It's not about your king being the one who has a connection to God. You bear God's image as well. Every living creature, every living person. See, God made man in His image. And as those made as His image, we were to be His representatives. We were to reign and rule on His behalf. This also means that that we are all valuable. No matter who you are, what you have done, you have intrinsic value. Because you bear God's image. And this is why what, what's going on in the headlines, you know, when we talk about racism, this is why racism is, is so wrong. This is why we need to treat everyone the same. This is why we must fight for the rights of the unborn and for those who cannot fight for themselves. This is, we all have value because we all bear the image of God. Amen. And along with being God's representatives, along with being God's kings, we are also, as we learn here, we are to be priests. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord took, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, when, when you read through the commentaries, many of the commentators liken the Garden of Eden to the temple that's going to show up later in these books. It was a place where God resided. It, it was a sacred space. And into this sacred space, God placed his people like priests in the temple to work it and to keep it to serve on his behalf. And that leads us into what, what we should be doing. Well, we should live life and worship to God. 
The word work in Genesis 2.15 refers to service and it really refers to worship. Paul picks up on this idea in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is what it says in the ESV. Some translations, the NASB says your spiritual service of worship or the NIV, spiritual act of worship. And so we should live life in worship to God. That's what priests were doing, right? They're they're facilitating worship. They're working and keeping. They're serving on behalf of God in the temple as a means to worship God. And we are to do the same. And how do we do that? How do we live life in worship to God? Well, modern day mirrors, they were created by a German chemist by the name of Justus von Lieber. In 1835, he developed a process for, you know, applying this this thin metallic silver on one side of a pane of of clear glass. And and that's what allowed mirrors to be mass produced. That's why you can have a mirror in your house today. That's why we can look in the mirror and we can see our reflection anytime we want, right? Sometimes we want to see our reflection. Sometimes we don't want to see our reflection. Sometimes we're happy to see our reflection so we can fix that reflection so that other people will see us in a positive light, right? But because of this, we are able to to see our reflection. And just like we are able to look at our reflection in the mirror, God should be able to see His reflection in His people. In other words, we worship God when we reflect His attributes to the world as His representatives. When we image his love and his kindness, his, his wisdom and his justice, when we, when we serve others, putting them before ourselves, when we are forgiving and quick to seek reconciliation, not holding things against another, when we care and, and provide for others, when we do all of these things and more, we reflect or we, we mirror God's image to the world. We act as his representatives, as, as his Selim, manifesting his presence to the world. And when we do these things, we worship God. But remember, in Hebrew, Selim doesn't just refer to those things that, that manifest God's presence. It also refers to kings, which tells us next that we worship God when we rule as kings. Look at the text starting in verse 28. And notice that the dominion language, the reigning and ruling language that, that we read in these, two verse, these three verses here. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth and subdue it. This is chapter one. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so God tells us that we are to be fruitful. We are to, be mul- we are to, we are to multiply. We are to fill the earth. We are to subdue it. We are to have dominion. And this is kingly language. It tells us that, that God expects of us to do. We are to be little K kings. This is important. We are to be little K kings who serve underneath the reign and the rule of the big K king who is God. We are to reign and rule on God's behalf, not in place of God. On God's behalf, we are to reign and rule. And we are to make something beautiful out of the chaos of this world. 
And realizing that God wants us to exercise dominion on his behalf as, as little K kings caused the psalmist to break out in worship in Psalms 8. In verses three, and, 3 through 6, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that, that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. I mean, the psalmist hits the nail on the head here, right? The, the task that God has given us, it is amazing. It should be humbling. The, the all-sovereign God of this universe, the one who has created everything that we can see in all of its complexity, in all of its intricacy, including you and I, he says, hey, I want you to rule on my behalf. I want you to have dominion on my behalf. I want you to take this world that I have created and I want you to push back the chaos and I want you to take this world somewhere. I want you to make it beautiful on my behalf for my glory. When we do that, we are worshiping God. God has called us to reign and rule as His representatives of creation. When we do that, we worship God. Amen. Acting as His kings, we are to take this world somewhere. We're to make something beautiful out of the chaos in this world, not for our glory. Right? We're going we're to see a picture of that when we get to the Tower of Babel where, where man is trying to seek their own glory. They, they said, we're not going to go across the world and, and, and reign and rule on your behalf, God. We are going to reign and rule. We are going to create something. We're going to create a name for ourselves. But God says, no, you're to do it for my glory. As we increase and multiply families, they, they turn into communities and those communities turn into towns and then eventually cities and, and nations. And part of exercising dominion, part of taking this world somewhere is to multiply and increase, creating kingdoms and, and determining that those kingdoms are going to operate according to not our wisdom, but according to God's wisdom. I mean, think of all of, of those things. You know, part of operating according to, to God's wisdom and His representative means that, that we will do all that we can to, to fight injustices in this world. We will seek to abolish racism and the unhindered murder of the unborn. Along with, with increasing and multiplying, we're also to take the world somewhere when we use the raw materials that God has created to make amazing things. I mean, think about all the technological advances that, that, that maybe you have seen in, in your lifetime. I know that, that I have seen phones go from those things that, that hang on the wall with this super long cord on it, right? So you can go and sit in your favorite chair and talk on the phone to somebody instead of having to stand there in your kitchen, right? I've seen it go from that and, and my sister being on the phone and saying, Dallas, I've, I've got to make a call. You need to get off of the phone. It's my turn to call my friends and talk to them. Or, Dad, don't pick up the phone. I'm, I'm on the internet, right? Dial up. And, and you're in there and you're, you're doing something. And then your, your parents pick up the phone or your kids pick up the phone. And you're like, man, I got to start all over again. And it takes like five minutes just to log on. Right? I, we've gone from that to where we have a phone in our pocket. I mean, I am, I am running this slideshow on a phone. I'm preaching off of an iPad. I mean, we have gone from that to this phone in our pocket, which is really a computer in our pocket. And then you think about cameras, right? I mean, I know that, it, that, it's, that it's cool to shoot film again, but 
But we don't have to shoot film. We have digital cameras that, that, that work with ones and zeros. And, and we can process those images in a digital darkroom instead of a huge darkroom with all these chemicals in there. And it's opened the world of photography up to so many more people. And those are just a few examples of the many ways in which we can take this world somewhere. And when we do that, we are continuing the creative process. We are exercising dominion as little K kings on behalf of God in worship to Him. You see, the jobs that you do each and every single day, you can worship God through that. You don't have to come here on Sunday for an hour to worship God. You can worship God by doing your work with excellence, by seeking to glorify God in everything that you do each and every single day, the way you run your company, you know, the way you run your team, the things that you create and the things that you make and the way you interact with people. Man, you could do all of these things in worship to God. And we should see it that way. And that, that puts a new spin on, on our careers and what we are doing. I mean, we are literally going to work every day not just to, to get a paycheck. We're going to work every day as those who are representing God in our workplaces, but we're going to work every day also as those who are supposed to be worshiping Him as we work unto Him and create something beautiful for Him as we operate according to His character and according to, to His wisdom. And so we are to be little K kings who operate on behalf of God and worship Him along with ruling as kings we worship God when we work it and we keep it as priests. And the idea that we are priests who cultivate comes from Genesis 2.15. There we read, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, over the last several years, Jen has really gotten into gardening and, and into planting flowers. And this, this started when we were back in Decatur. Uh, she wanted to, you know, beautify our backyard a bit. We had just, you know, some grass out there. And so we began to put in some flower beds. And, and then, then we thought, well, you know, we, we want to we eat some good food. So we put in a garden and, and we began to, to, to cultivate those things. And we've continued that practice even here in Red Oak. And, and in the spring and in the summer, Jen is out there every single morning, you know, watering her flowers and, and tending to the garden and making sure things are, are, are just right so that these things will grow. And because of that, you know, our, our backyard, has, the aesthetics of it have, have improved. Uh, we were able to have some, some good food from, from time to time. Now, I mean, it's not like you know, we don't have to go to the grocery store or anything, that kind of garden. But, you know, just, just a few things from time to time. And you're like, man, that is so good. Like, we need to get a bigger garden so we can have more of that, of that good food. But, you know, that takes more and more work and more and more cultivating. But the garden, it doesn't just happen, right? You've got to work it and you've got to keep it each and every single day. And just as, as Jen does that, just as maybe many of you do that, you tend to your garden in your backyard, we are to do the same in God's garden as God's priest. We are to work it and keep it. In other words, we are to worship God in service to Him. That's what priests did, right? They, they went to the temple and they worshiped God by serving Him as priests in the temple. And as you think through Scripture and all of the things that, that priests are supposed to do, they're, they're, we, you know, we are to do those things as well. We are to faithfully serve God in accordance with His Word. We are to, to call other people to come and serve God as we seek to make disciple-making disciples. We are to, to lead people to entrust in, in, in God's care. 
whether that be a community, a church, a small group, or, or a family, that we are to, to lead those whom God has entrusted to us. You see, you, 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 as men, we are supposed to be leaders of our family. We talked about this a couple weeks back. You know, at, at, at work, you're supposed to be a leader in, in the community and everything. We are to lead those people, but we don't just lead them based on secular knowledge or, or pragmatism. No, no, we lead them according to God's wisdom. And when we lead them according to God's wisdom, then we are actually worshiping God through our leadership as well as we are to protect those whom God has given us from falsehood. When we do all of these things, we are working it and we are keeping it as priests. And so this is what we are to do. And when we do these things, we, we worship God. We are to image God and His attributes to the world, making His presence known. We are to reign and rule in God's creation, exercising dominion and furthering His kingdom by being fruitful and multiplying. We are to worship God as priests by serving according to His wisdom, calling others to follow Him, and by leading and protecting those who are in our care. And we do all of these things underneath God's direction. And that's what he tells us in Genesis 2, 16 and and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God sets boundaries for us. Essentially, he tells us that we are to operate according to his definition of what is good. But that's where we get into trouble. Because we don't always operate according to to God's definition of what is good, of what is right and wrong. Instead, what we do is we trade God's definition of what is good, what is right for our own definition of God. Instead of serving underneath the big K king, we want to be the big K king ourselves. We don't want to be little K kings. We don't want to take direction from God and how we should then exercise dominion over this world. No, we want to remove God from his throne And we want to sit there ourselves. But this is where we get into trouble, right? This is where we get into trouble. And we're not the first people to do that. Adam and Eve are are the first to do that. We're going to get into more of that next week of, of why this happened. But for now, what I want you to see is that man's failure to act as God's image bearers, his priest and king in this world, is why Jesus ultimately had to come. Jesus is the true image of God. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true priest. He perfectly rules, pushing back the chaos of this world. And he perfectly serves according to God's will by giving his own life as a sacrifice for us. Jesus came not only to show us what it looks like to image God, but he came to to make it possible for us to do that again. He he came not only to show us what a true king should look like and, and how we should function as priests and serve God, but he came so that we could then rightfully take our place as little K kings and serving God again. When Jesus comes on the scene, he came preaching the kingdom, calling all those who came into contact with him to repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. In other words, we are to turn from, from our way of doing things from our definition of good, from our failure to image God and act as his kings and priests, we are to turn from those things and we are to turn to God. We are to give up the desire to make a name for ourselves. We are to give up the desire to build our own kingdom and temple of worship. And we are to begin doing that for God. We're to do that. And we are able to do that because Jesus came. 
It is his sacrifice on our behalf that allows us to enter into his renewed kingdom and function rightly as God's representatives, as God's priests, as God's king, bearing his image in the way that he originally designed for us to operate. And just as we're going to get into the specifics of how we got ourselves into this position next week, we're going to get into the specifics of how Jesus made a way for us to once again enter into God's kingdom in the weeks to follow. But for now, as we begin this series, I want you to see that that we worship God. We worship God by serving as his representatives, his priests, his kings, and his kingdom, operated according to his definition of what is good. And so that's where we are. That's who we are. And that's what we should be doing. And so do you believe that? Are you doing that? Are you acting as God's representatives, as his priests, as his kings, operating according to what God says is good? Are you worshiping God with your entire life? Are you giving everything to God? Not just an hour on Sunday, but are you giving your whole life in worship to God? Are you living as a living sacrifice that Paul mentions in Romans 12? Is that you? Is that how you are living? Are you living life in worship to the true king, in his kingdom? If you aren't, then you need to heed Jesus' words. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And today is an opportunity for you to do that. Today is an opportunity for you to recognize rightfully who you are and whose kingdom in which you exist. It's not your kingdom, it's God's kingdom. And now is an opportunity for you to repent and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. We're not going to have our normal time of response because of the whole coronavirus deal, uh, but I will be outside if, if the Lord is leading you to learn more about the good news, the hope of Jesus. And I'd love to talk with you more about that. So see me outside at that time. If you're worshiping God every day, let me just say, keep it up. Keep it up because this is what we are supposed to do. This is what God has created you to do. This is your purpose in life, to live life in worship to God. So let's do that. Let's live as his representatives, as his kings and his priests, each and every single day in worship to him, making his name famous, seeking his glory above our own. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to gather as the church, to open your word, to to learn, Lord, of our rightful place in this world in which you have created. And God, we ask that we would take this to heart, that we would see ourselves as little K kings, as your representatives, as your priests who are supposed to, to worship and serve you, Lord, according to your wisdom and your kingdom, not according to our own wisdom. This isn't our kingdom, God. Help us to realize that each day. And help us to serve you, make your name famous, and to seek your glory, God, each and every single day. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.